I have several passages that I want to look at um, and uh, to begin I just want to read those. So the first is uh, 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 2 and verse 1 to 7. First Corinthians chapter two, verses one through seven. And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness and fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching we're not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. However, we speak wisdom among those who are mature, yet not the wisdom of this age, nor of the rulers of this age, who are coming to nothing, but we speak the wisdom of God and a mystery, the hidden wisdom of God, ordained before the ages for our glory, which none of the rulers of this age knew. For had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, I has not seen nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. And then if you'll turn to Romans and chapter 5. And just reading the first two verses there. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into his grace in which we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And one that I hadn't, didn't list out, but is uh, if you just flip back to chapter four, um, which chapter four is a discussion that begins speaking about Abraham. Uh, verse 1 of 4 says, What then shall we say that Abraham our father has found, uh, excuse me, Abraham our father has found according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. And it goes on, if you jump down to verse 4, now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. But to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. So I'm doing a, something a, a little different, and yet I think somewhat the same uh, in my uh, standard teaching style, which is I generally like to just be exegetical, pick a passage and, 
and march through it. And as we have been going through uh, Corinthians and looking at various passages in Corinthians, um, there's, a, there's a number of uh, things that we immediately jump into uh, regarding uh, everything from people assigning uh, preferences to certain apostles or certain teachers to issues of a man who was living with his, essentially with his father's wife uh, and Paul bringing a rebuke to that and, and many other things. And where we're at as of late is we came into chapters uh, seven uh, where we're beginning to speak about marriage and how marriage is uh, understood. And I had a bit of a break from this with the various speakers that we've had and I, I want to go back into it, but one of the things that, that I, kind of a takeaway from the conference and takeaway um, even from hearing Terry Gordon uh, regarding standing fast, regarding um, the, the things that he had to say, uh, I, I, we often heard the word faith. And I just wanted to, in a sense, pause from Corinthians and just think about with you, uh, what is faith? What does it mean? How do we as believers understand it? Um, and faith is not always easy to understand, but there are some helpful ways, I think, that will, will make us uh, comprehend, uh, hopefully, uh, a little better this uh, topic. Uh, of faith. So the way I want to approach this, uh, uh, and I thought about it in different ways, is oftentimes when we think of a relationship, uh, we think of an object and we think of a subject. Um, and as we do that, we think generally of the subject is the one that is really, um, uh, will speak uh, it, it's the, again, even if you think of a the common sentence, it's, uh, the subject is what is being talked about, and the object is what is receiving uh, action or the action. So as we break down further into what is a subject and what is an object, uh, we think of the fact that that as a subject, um, that a, well, let me just read actually some of this and maybe that'll help me to even state it better. When the scriptures speak of faith, it is talking about the believer looking to God and trusting God. Not an action that changes or distorts God. Our faith never changes God. And, you know, so the idea that we're praying so that God will change his mind is just wrong, <laughs> okay, in the basics. Faith is not an action. It may result in actions, but faith itself is not action. It is a hearty trust. Even this raises questions about how can a hearty trust impact God. This is why it is essential to understand the working of faith that there is a source of faith 
outside of ourselves. We naturally tend to speak in terms of a subject and an object, that we are believing God, okay? Meaning that if I have faith, uh, it must be sourced in me towards God. And normal logic would say that's the case. So if I say, I believe in God, who's believing? Me, right? I believe in God. That's pretty simple. But in the scriptures, we have an, a, another thing besides a subject and an object. We have a source. And the source is what caused that faith. Is that faith truly from me? Am I the source of that faith? And when I say I believe, that means I am doing an action and I am putting my trust in God. So we want to kind of dissect this, this, this idea a little bit and look at a number of, of passages and a number, uh, even the, the confession. So first of all, I just want to talk about the object that I'm speaking about, which is God. So faith is directed to God. God is not, obviously, an object. Okay? God is a person. Okay? So when I say object, I'm simply talking about where is faith, my faith going? Or does it go anywhere? And I think it's pretty clear when we say we have a hearty trust, there's something that's from me going to God. So when I say God is the object, I don't mean at all to underestimate the fact that he is a person. And he is a person, three persons in one. So, faith looks to God. Well, how does faith look to God? Well, God reveals himself. The only way we can look to God is if God reveals himself. And he does that. And we're familiar with where he does that. In the scriptures, God makes himself known to us in the scriptures. And as we go through the scriptures, we begin to unfold God's attributes. We begin to uh, describe those attributes in terms of God's uh, character, God's nature, and so forth. And so there is a knowledge that's associated with faith. Faith is not just a, a, um, a blind leap, if you would. The knowledge of God is revealed in scriptures, and what God has done is revealed in scriptures, and what God has accomplished, which is another way of saying done, is stated in scripture. And so we believe God, and we believe those things. But again, many 
see faith as some kind of a blind leap or some kind of a vague reaching for God. But there's nothing biblical about that. Um, Burkhoff actually points out that faith is, uh, that there are churches that actually teach this concept that if you just have this kind of blind faith that you just, you don't believe in God, but you believe in the church. And you hold fast to that church because you believe the church knows God. That the church has the right kinds of doctrine and understanding of God. And so I just hold on to that church. And Burkhoff explains uh, that that notion of instead of um, truly understanding, rather we just give assent. Now, most of us would think, boy, that's kind of strange to do that. But one of the largest institutions in Christendom does exactly that. Your faith is in the church, not in what you particularly believe. And as we think about that, uh, he says it's important for us to realize, though, that sometimes believers can give assent to doctrines of the church without even knowing they are. One of our standard catechism, or uh, not catechism, but our membership questions asks, do you basically understand all these things? Do you understand the scriptures? Are you submitted to the scriptures? So forth. And most people say, yes. Okay. But do they? Do we? I include myself. And it's important that we understand that a blind uh, adaptation or, or assent to uh, the doctrines of the church um, is not something we want to encourage. We want people to know. We want people to go to the scriptures and grow in the knowledge that is therein. The Heidelberg Catechism asks the question, what is faith? And it answers. Truth faith is not only a sure knowledge whereby I hold for truth all that God has revealed to us in his word. I've read that question many times and the answer many times. But you have to ask yourself, do I really have that? Is that a description of me? That I have a sure knowledge. I don't question my faith. I don't question Christ. I don't question what he's accomplished. I don't question my salvation. I don't question that he cares for me. And that he knows my days from birth to death. And that there's nothing that happens to me that he is not in the middle of. That he's not aware of. I have that kind of surety. A sure knowledge. 
But not only that, I hope for truth that all that God has revealed to us in his word, everything he's revealed to us in his word, the only way to know that is by reading it. And then after you get done, you've got to start all over again because you probably forgot half of it. Okay? We, have, we know the word. We learn the word. And as a result of those things, we have a hearty trust. Now let's go back to the idea of the subject and the object. Okay, the subject, the one who is believing, the one who's having the hearty trust, you think they're dependent upon God to be able to have that hearty trust? Clearly from here, just in getting the knowledge they require is essential. We must know these things. And as we know these things, we can trust. Well, I guess i got to do this somehow. Well, we have to keep reading the question. Which the Holy Spirit works in me by the gospel, that not only to others, but, also, but to me also. Forgiveness of sins, everlasting righteousness, and, the, and salvation are freely given by God, merely of grace, only for the sake of Christ's merit. That's powerful. That's incredible. It's not just a matter I have to read it. It's the Spirit has to apply it to me. It has to open this up to me. So the object of our faith, the object of our faith makes himself known by his word and applies that learning to us by his Spirit. You see, the I believe, the I is beginning to fade away. The I believe is beginning to die. The I is totally dependent upon God to reveal himself. And in that, we truly can rejoice. So the first is the object, and understanding what the object is doing, and the second is the subject which is us, as we seek to believe. And with belief, uh, in our day and age, when you talk about having faith, again, so many people go to this idea or concept of it being a leap of faith, of I have to just sort of take a blind leap leaving reason, leaving knowledge behind. And the scriptures are saying totally the opposite of that. But as we have this knowledge, as we have this spirit, we come to the scriptures and we say, okay, what does it mean? Here's a couple of passages. I'm just going to run down these. Exodus 19, verse 5. Now, therefore, if you... Indeed, obey my voice and keep my commandments. Then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people, for all the earth is mine. Exodus 20 and verse 2, which 
is the first commandment. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. Second Chronicles 20 and verse 20. So then rose early in the morning and went out to the wilderness of Tekoa. And as they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, O Judah, and you inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, and you shall be established. Believe his prophets, and you shall prosper. Psalm 37.3, trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. Proverbs 3.5, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. Psalm 118 and 8, it is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. Is God commanding us to believe? I thought, I thought belief was like an option. I thought our trusting God was an option, that we could kind of do it if we wanted to. You know, you wake up in the morning, and I think I'll believe today. That's not the way it is. That's not how God's revealed himself. Remember, we've got to go back to how does God reveal himself? He reveals himself through his word. What I just read is his word. His word tells us we must believe. So why would God give us a command to believe? Well, for one, he created us. He set us on this planet that we might live according to his design and that we might trust him in all things. Which means God not only created, but he sustains all things. Which again, if you go back to the concept that faith, I am the source of my own faith, it undermines everything that scripture is teaching us. It's, it's undermining it. Now, it's interesting, there's one passage I can't leave out here, it's Mark 9 and verse 24. Because as we do believe, we have this statement, this verse in the scriptures that says, immediately the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Okay? So there is a growing in faith as well. And again, the growing in faith is no different than the initial faith. It's always, we are always growing. It's always learning, always uh, studying, always developing, uh, it, particularly as it relates to knowledge. This idea that knowledge and faith are not connected is very misguided. We have the knowledge, the knowledge comes from God, we have the faith, the faith is worked in us by the Spirit of God, which brings us to that faith. 
So there is really no point where we can say, my faith is mine. And yet it is mine. Why? Because God put it there. God has given us this. So I'm going to correct myself from earlier. The idea that I believe is a true statement. And we can be bold to tell people, I believe in God. Otherwise, we'd have to get rid of the Apostles' Creed, right? Okay. <laughs> we do believe, okay, but the cause, the source of that faith is not something that comes from in us. It is from God. So, the, the scriptures are clear about where faith comes from. John 17, 8, for I have given to them the words which you have given me. This is Christ speaking. And they have received them and have known surely that I um, came forth from you. And they have believed that you sent me. And a little later in the same chapter, he says, I do not pray that you should take them out of the world but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Again, this whole notion that the things that we struggle with, um, that we come before God and, and seek to, to have, um, uh, to seek help, uh, to seek wisdom, to seek understanding so that we can better cope with those trials, as we come before them, even Christ himself is, is praying that very same thing, that he has given us his word, his word is good. His word is very good. His word is beyond very good. Okay, it is true. And it is root, that is the root, his word that brings us to that hearty trust. So again, it still seems like we're missing something. Still seems like I have this, I believe, and I'm understanding better where that belief came from, where it originated at. And then we turn to Hebrews 12 and verse 2. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So, the clearest passage that I know of that clearly says, faith is not authored by us, it's authored by God. It's authored by Christ. And not only did he author it, but he's finishing it. Ever meet somebody who started writing a book and then they never got past chapter one or two or three or four or five, but they, they cut short. Christ didn't do it that way. He, he's, he is the author and finisher of our faith. 
So he is occupied with us, even as we continue to believe. And there, we, should, we should take great comfort in that, because this is God who's at work. Okay? It's God who's at work. And, and we can truly trust him to lead and to guide us through whatever uh, comes our way. But we do so in obedience. Because faith and obedience, again, are not at odds. They go together. And that's why James can say, you have faith. Show me your faith by your works. He's not trying to add works. I mean, we have so many passages that says that it's not of works lest any man should vote. He's not trying to add it to the equation as if that is another justifying aspect of salvation, he's speaking about the reality of us living in the gospel, in, the Christ, in Christ, in the spirit, before the Father. And on top of all this, we just need to keep in mind as we, as we move forward that um, in this time, in this age that we live, which again, is, is a in great turmoil in many ways. Um, and it was that way before COVID, by the way. Okay, that's just added more salt to it. Um, that we have a tremendous uh, surety from God that he has, in fact, planned all of eternity, past, present, and future. There are no surprises to God. We see them. We see a lot of surprises. But with God, none of this is a surprise. God reveals and he applies and he reminds us in his word. The word is the seed of faith. But we also need the spirit of God where you are continually dependent upon God to reveal these things. And that's where even the fellowship of the church comes into play. We struggle with a passage, we go to others and say, do you struggle with this or is that clear? If they're unclear, let's go to somebody else. Let's go to an elder, let's go to the pastor. Let's call up uh, the president of classes and say, can you give us a read on this? None of that is beyond us. And that, and that because we are the church, we are uh, what God has established. In Revelation 1, 8, it says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. And we can say that so easily, right? It, it makes for like a great song, okay? But it's really saying something. From the beginning to the end and everything in between, God is the Almighty. He is the one who sustains all of life. He is the creator. He is the one who reveals all of this to us. 
He reminds us in his word over and over again. Even the sacraments. What are they? They're a reminder of the covenant. They're a reminder of the Lord's Supper and that Christ is returning and that his death did, in fact, pay and cleansed us from sins, all our sins. One place where this whole concept of faith is probably the clearest, and I'll close with this, is revealed in Ezekiel 36 and verse 26. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. That is the extent of our renewal. That is the extent of our renewal. We are going to get some operations forthcoming. So where, where does this then kind of leave us, I guess? And keep in mind that when we talk about ourselves, I believe that we do, there's also the source behind all of that. And that uh, God has, in fact, established the very relationship that we have with him. And that there is more to faith than just simply a leap, but there is knowledge, there is growth, and much of that growth occurs as we learn more about God, more about what he's accomplished, not only in terms of history, but in terms of what he's done even in us. What are the benefits of salvation? Can we list them out? Being free from sin, having a relationship with God, being able to have a relationship with one another, as those who are married, literally. Um, having a full understanding of our forgiveness, having a full understanding of what it means to, to grow, having a full understanding of the law, what the law is asking us to actually do, which is ultimately honor God and glorify him. It's simply the statutes he's established in the creation he created. Okay? And <clears throat> so we grow in those things. So the great... This application I can give you is God. It's not what we apply in this case. It's what God is doing. And the application is for us to see it. Because when we truly see what God is doing in us as a church, in our families, in our lives, as we see what God is doing, we're brought to praise. We're brought to give thanks. We're brought here to worship him and to glorify him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you indeed are above all things. And that's such a trite statement in a sense because 
You are even outside of all things. You spoke and all that is came into being. We do not comprehend the magnitude that belongs to you, the glory that belongs to you, the wisdom that you have, the work that you have accomplished. We only see fragments of it in the scriptures. And as the scriptures say, if it was all written out, there wouldn't be enough books to hold it. We thank you that you do minister to us. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to turn from our own selves and look to you, who indeed is the author and finisher of our faith, and trust in you for all things. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.